Welcome to Making Footprints, Not Blueprints, a regular podcast about matters philosophical and religious. My name is Andrew James Brown, and despite being myself an atheistically inclined freethinker, I'm also the minister to the Unitarian Church in the city of Cambridge, UK. The title of this podcast is borrowed from the philosopher Herbert Fingeret, who, in his book, The Self in Transformation, offered us studies that were outcomes rather than realised objectives, which were offered to the reader as an encouragement to make intellectual footprints, not blueprints. This podcast tries to proceed in a similar fashion and takes seriously an insight of the poet A.R. Ammons, who felt that true human freedom only comes when we have understood that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely, and that, therefore, and thankfully, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. Welcome to this week's New Walk. Little children, love one another. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk. Were you disappointed at the moment you thought this podcast was over, after only a couple of minutes, instead of its usual length of between 10 and 20 minutes? Did you feel shortchanged in some fashion, even though this podcast is made available completely free of charge? If you did feel this, even just a little bit, then the following two intimately related, very short stories may be of interest to you. The first was told by St Jerome towards the end of the 4th century of the Common Era about the figure of the beloved disciple John, who, in the Christian tradition, is believed to have been the author of the theologically and philosophically very complicated and elusive gospel which bears his name. St Jerome tells the story in his commentaries on the epistle to the Galatians, where he is commenting on a verse from Galatians, chapter 6, verse 10, which reads as follows, So then, when the season is ours, let us work the good for all and most particularly for the household of the faith. One of the things St Jerome is worried about is how he might best teach the good news to those belonging to his, and by extension, to our own community. So here's the first story as Jerome tells it. The blessed John the Evangelist, who remained in Ephesus to an advanced age and could scarcely be carried to the church with the help of his disciples. At each assembly, he used to say no more than this, Little children, love one another. Eventually, the disciples and brethren who were present grew tired of always hearing the same thing and said, Master, why do you keep on saying this? He replied with a sentiment worthy of John, because it is a precept of the Lord, and it is sufficient if this alone is done. 
I first came across this story while studying the work of a key figure of the Enlightenment period, namely the German philosopher and dramatist Gotthold Ephraim Lessing. Here's how Lessing tells and expands upon Jerome's story in his 1777 work called The Testament of John. Quote, One so quickly tires of the good, and even of the best, once it starts to become commonplace. At the first assembly at which John could no longer say anything but, little children, love one another. These words were extremely well received. They were still well received on the second, third and fourth occasions, for it was said that the old man couldn't say any more. But when the old man now and then had good and cheerful days again, and still said nothing more, but simply concluded the daily assembly with his little children love one another. When they saw that the old man was not just unable to say more, but had no intention of doing so, the little children love one another became flat, empty and meaningless. Brethren and disciples could scarcely listen to it any longer without becoming sick of hearing it, and they finally asked the good old man, But Master, why do you keep saying the same thing? John replied, Because the Lord commanded it, because this alone, this alone, if it is done, is sufficient, quite sufficient. Unquote. Now why do I tell you these two related stories? Well, it's because, in the end, like old John, when everything is said and done, apart from continuing always to recommend following Socrates' method of inquiry, I have nothing of lasting worth to say to anyone, including myself, except, little children, love one another. After all, even the Socratic method works best when it is engaged in, in the spirit of showing love to one's neighbour, one's dialogue partner and that includes one's enemies. I say this because, again, like old John, I believe that this alone, this alone, if it is done, is sufficient, quite sufficient. And I also say it, not simply because Jesus, whom John called Lord, commanded it, but because I find all of the religious teachers whose teaching and actions I find persuasive commanded or encouraged us to do the same thing. In short, with this teaching of Jesus, it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, with this teaching of Jesus, I hit bedrock. And, to draw again on Wittgenstein's image I explored with you in episode 14, I find that at this teaching, I must simply turn my spade without further justification and am inclined to say, this is simply what I do. Or at the very least, I'm inclined to say, this is simply what I'm always striving better to do each and every day. But like old John, in my public-facing role as a minister of religion, I daily come face to face with the fact that humans have a deeply ingrained prejudice against the commonplace and an associated insatiable desire for things perceived to be new, extraordinary, exceptional, uncommon, rare, unconventional. In short, 
they have a desire for anything that is excitingly different from the usual everyday fare. To borrow a line from Nirvana's classic song, Smells Like Teen Spirit, over the past 30 or so years, and whether liberal or otherwise, modern religious audiences have shown a worrying tendency to be saying more and more to their ministers, here we are now, entertain us. This consumerist entertainment-driven dynamic in turn creates a strange, disturbing and deeply uncomfortable state of affairs for any Socratically inclined liberal minister of religion who, in addition to trying to preach the importance of following the commonplace simple message little children love one another, also believes that if there is to be a viable future for liberal religion, then it's vital to encourage congregations to engage in the philosophically always challenging project of honing good, critical thinking skills, which they can then bring to bear upon life's many perennial and extremely stubborn questions. Let me unfold this thought a bit more. Given that the COVID-19 pandemic has helped me strongly feel where my ethical spade turns or needs to turn without further justification, and even though mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, I so often fail to turn it well, or sometimes, alas, even at all, I know that I could, perhaps should have ended this podcast where you thought it had earlier on with only the bald and simple command, little children, love one another. Not only that, but perhaps I should simply be reposting the same incredibly brief podcast every week. Why? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? As old John realised, none of us, me included, ever properly fulfils this simple command, which, as he said, if it is done, is alone sufficient quite sufficient. But we don't do it. I don't do it. And so we clearly need to be reminded of it again and again and again. Now, were I to do this each week, this would fulfil in spades, pun intended, the demand often made of me and ministers like me to keep things simple and easily understandable. But as our two earlier stories reveal, were I to do this, I'd also very quickly bore the pants off you. Like old John, the basic and one needful command to love one another would quickly become for you flat, empty and meaningless, one to which you could scarcely listen to any longer without becoming sick of hearing it. Given this... I and many of my colleagues are forced to do one of two things, one reasonably positive, but with its problems, and the other problematically deceptive. There is, of course, a third option, which is simply to bore the pants off you. But I set that possibility aside today in the hope that I'm avoiding this option right at the moment. So the positive, but challenging and often complicated task... And it's what I imperfectly try to do in my own writing, and I'm trying to do right now, is to write things which are attempts, entertainingly enough, to clear liberal religion's decks of the many perennial, 
complex and stubborn philosophical, theological, cultural, social, political, economic stumbling blocks that get in the way of us reaching bedrock and being able finally to turn our spade and coming to love one another, just as Jesus taught we should, because we know that this is simply what we must be doing and doing it without further justification. But please don't underestimate how complicated and real these stumbling blocks are. Consider, for example, the stubborn unclarity that exists concerning how best to discern in what truly consists loving one another in different contexts. What is the difference between loving one another when the love we are talking about is familial love? Friendly or platonic love, romantic love, self-love, guest love, love of the other, and divine love. Suddenly, following Jesus' simple command becomes, well, far from simple. And given that we've noticed this, we'd be ethically irresponsible and stupid were we not Socratically to inquire much further into this puzzling and frankly complicated state of affairs. It's important to recall that what we are doing in our complex and challenging but hopefully entertaining Socratic inquiries, inquiries, by the way, which we won't fully understand maybe first time round or second time round, and they'll be revised as one goes through them. But what we're doing in these Socratic inquiries is to engage in a practice somewhat like that seen in the martial arts. In the martial arts, one practices many different kinds of moves over and over again, so that when an actual encounter with an opponent occurs, you don't have to run through all the justifications for making this move or that move before acting, before you turn your spade, so to speak. But instead, you are simply able to make, without further justification, instantly the move that needs to be made. As with the martial arts, so with love and other things. For when the moment comes lovingly to turn your spade in the encounter with some other person, you now have a real chance of being able simply to follow the command to love one another without further justification. You know the move that you need to make. Later on, of course, in a further round of Socratic inquiry, you may well want to reflect upon what occurred and revise your practice accordingly, so that during your next encounter, your simple act of loving one another without further justification may be better or more appropriately nuanced and effective. Anyway, as Wittgenstein said, in adopting this kind of approach in most of my addresses, all I can ever hope to do is somehow to show the fly the way out of the fly bottle, so you can better simply do, in this or that moment, what it is that needs to be done without further justification. But showing flies out of fly bottles is, believe you me, rarely an easy, simple or straightforward task. The problematically deceptive way to proceed, which I hope I mostly avoid, is to succumb to the temptation to place the call to entertainment above the basic message to love one another, and then to try to write pieces which make it appear everything about this message is not only simple and clear, 
straightforward, but also something new, extraordinary, exceptional, uncommon, rare, unconventional, and excitingly different from the usual fare. Alas, pieces like this tend, in the end, only to hide the important commonplace naked message behind what turn out to be merely versions of the Emperor's new clothes. And we all know how poorly and embarrassingly that approach ended up. So what's a minister to do if they want to gain and keep an audience entertained and gripped, adoringly reading their exciting blog posts, listening to their shiny podcasts and ratcheting ever upwards their audience stats and general popularity as well as their all-round grooviness? Well, trust me, it sure as hell isn't to do what old John did, namely only to be saying again and again and again ad infinitum, little children... Love one another, because only this, if it is done, is sufficient. There might be many more things I could say at this point, but I think I should stop here, and I hope that you can see why, despite my last paragraph, and at the risk of boring the pants off you and losing you forever, I can only end this episode by saying to you something very commonplace indeed. Little children, love one another. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path. Thank you again for listening to the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and each new podcast will be delivered to your device as soon as it is released. Also, if you'd like to join the conversation, please feel free to comment on the blog or come along to the occasional live online discussions which take place on Wednesday evenings at 7.30pm GMT. Anyone is invited to ask questions and make comments on the issues discussed in the podcast. You can find all the necessary links in the episode notes. We look forward to talking with you then.